Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning. Welcome to Talkback Gardening on this first weekend of August. Very sunny winter's day today indeed. And of course, it's been a very dry July behind us. John Lamb, I think the driest since 1924. Good morning, Deb. Yes, and I think uh, there are a lot of people saying, uh, when will it rain? Well, we've got the solution to that, I think, very soon uh, when we talk to climatologist Darren Ray and uh, he will be giving a special forecast for home gardeners, a three-month weather outlook for home gardeners, but I'm sure there'll be a lot more than home gardeners. Uh, Very interested in what Darren's got to say very, very, very shortly. Exactly. So stay tuned for that uh, certainly uh, a lot of uh, farmers really hoping for rain at the moment. Later in the program, I've got a couple of ABC Organic Gardener magazines to give away to you. We're going to take a bit of a look at stone fruit um, because we've got some blossoms already emerging on those at the moment. Yes, the buds are starting to swell and it's very important if you want to protect your fruit trees, uh, stone fruit trees from uh, fungal diseases, you put a spray on just before the buds open. And uh, just a heads up, if you've got Dwarf stone fruit trees. Stay tuned. Have a listen in. And of course, if you are listening to us, remember you can take us out into the garden with you in your smartphone now. Just install the AVC Listen app and you can have us wherever you are gardening across the weekend. And also remember that if you are inside, you can listen to us on Channel 25 through your television as well these days. We'll get back into our general talk about gardening after we speak to Darren. The number to call to ask John a question is 1300 891. But without further ado... I think there's someone we need to introduce, John. For many months, the international weather models have been suggesting we're in for a late winter and early spring wetter than average conditions. And uh, it's been very concerning that uh, it hasn't happened up until now. So what lies ahead? Uh, It's time, I think, to say good morning to our independent climatologist here in South Australia, Darren Ray. Good morning to you, Darren. G'day, John. G'day, Deb. Now, last, listening out there. last month you surprised many by, despite what the international models were saying, you were suggesting that uh, we'd be pretty lucky to get average rainfall in July. You were talking it down, rainfall for July. Spot on again. So, um, have the weather models got it wrong? Are we in now for a period of dry weather? Um, there's plenty of good news on the way um, in terms of the, uh, the climate influences uh, are still pushing towards the wetter, wetter conditions for, for, uh, for, for spring. So there is rainfall on the way. Um, and uh, we've, yeah, it's, just, it's just not a strong... We're not, just, we're not seeing strong pushes towards those sort of wet conditions, but it is heading in the right direction. So well, there's good news coming. Can we take a look then at the two major drivers of uh, our weather uh, for the next three months at least? And I suppose, first of all, the Indian Ocean. And you've been suggesting that uh, the Indian Ocean, there is going to be uh, a negative uh, IOT, Indian Ocean Diapole, which should uh, bring with it uh, some wetter conditions. Uh, How do you see what's happening in the Indian Ocean? Are we going to get that Indian Ocean Diapole forming? So the the Indian Ocean Dipole, what you typically see with that is is um, 
What 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 um, what we were hoping for is is warm water to, off to the northwest of Australia, and, and what you typically see in the negative Indian Ocean dipole is the cool water near Africa. Now, what's happened is it's it's warmed up in the last uh, over the last few weeks, uh, just very recently in, uh, to the northwest of Australia and across the, uh, the western side as well. So while we haven't gone into a negative IOD, we've we still got that warm water sitting there to the northwest. So that supplies moisture uh, for, that can feed moisture down when we get that sort of right burst of tropical activity to feed it down over us. And that's really what we were missing through July was the uh, the tropical activity that um, would uh, to push them push moisture down across us. And okay, so the problem is it's warm on both sides of the Indian Ocean and what we want is uh, cooler water on the uh, South African side, on the western side, and if it goes cool there and it's warm here, we get a diapole and uh, we get rain. Yeah, oh, it's, I mean, it's, it's all starting to get a, get, get a, get a, get a bit a bit complicated for a Saturday morning, but I think the key thing is really the key thing is the warm water to the northwest, and we've got that now, so that's that's really important. All right, so there's a potential for moisture there. Let's now take a look at the Pacific. That's the other area, and again, it's been struggling. Uh, the models have been suggesting uh, there's a potential for uh, La Nina. Uh, a, a wet one uh, forming, but it hasn't quite formed up until now. Again, could you give us an update there? Yeah, so it's once again that's that's always looked looked pretty borderline, but it's um it's it's still looking and that's still very much the case. But this is heading in the right direction for you know La Nina is typically wetter conditions, particularly for the eastern states of Australia. Um, and so and we've got we've got got a, got warm water sitting around Papua New Guinea, Solomon Islands, that sort of area, and that's great for feeding moisture across the eastern half of the country. So so that's sitting there as well. Um, and yeah, you know, I mean it's not. We're not seeing strong pushes. Um, we're not. We're not seeing strong pushes in either of these influences. Um, you know, it's just pushing a little bit towards the the you know, the, the right conditions for 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 rainfall and and cooler and you know, milder temperatures. I always get excited when you say there's warm water to particularly to the northwest of, of Australia. Now we've got warm water to the northeast of, of Australia. Uh, so just before we leave the uh, El Nino, uh, sorry, the La Nina, um, often when you get a, a La Nina, it, it gets very wet along the eastern coast and we don't get much of it here in South Australia. Uh, as it moves towards uh, uh, the... Uh, a La Nina, are we going to get our share of the moisture? Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, just generally overall, we'll, we'll talk about individual months, but um, it does look like the eastern states will probably pick up a little bit more, and that'll extend through into summer. And so what that means is actually it's prob- probably good news because it means the um, the rainfall will, prob- will ease off a little bit as we go towards the end of the year, so that's great for farmers um, looking for drier conditions for harvest and, and reduced fungal conditions for grape growers and that sort of thing in South Australia. So, well, I, I think we need to drill down month by month, and so many people are wanting to know what's going to happen in August. So take it away, Darren. <laughs> yeah, OK. Um, lovely, lovely, beautiful first day of August. Um, there's there's but and some nice weather over the next couple of days. And then we see, we move into that sort of um, pattern where we see more cold fronts coming further north over um, over us. And so first, um, uh, so the first, first couple of days, not much rainfall, but then the first through, through from about the third through to about the, about mid-month, looks like we get, get regular streams of cold frontal activity and even some, um, even just a little bit of, a little, just a, just a little bit of tropical activity, pushing some of that moisture over us. Um, so, 
that second week of the month looks like we could pick up some reasonable rainfall um, that'll extend across the agricultural regions um, through that, particularly that second week of August. So, do you mind if I butt in and say, uh, will it be, uh, say, you know, uh, 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 the old inch of rain, twenty millimetres of rain might go across, and probably uh, there are a lot of people saying, John, ask him, is it going to go inland a little bit? Um, so yeah, it does look like the agricultural areas will get get some reasonable rainfall out of that. Um, I think Adelaide, you know, and and you know, basically that's it. Um, around the Adelaide sort of latitude and south, yeah, it's. Um, I think we're, we're pretty good chance of getting uh, accumulating a, um, an inch of rainfall over over that week or so there. Well, that's um, brilliant. That's that's the mid. So our best bet's probably mid month. If we take towards the end of the month, what's happening there? Yeah. So it looks like the um, looks like the high pressure systems will reestablish uh, through the third third week of the month and through to close to the end of August. Um, then it looks like the cold fronts will kick in again and. Um, and so the end of the end of the month, we'll, we'll pick up some more rainfall at the end as well. All right. Well, before we move into September in terms of rainfall, we just need to take a little peek at uh, temperatures, day temperatures, night temperatures for uh, August. Um, yeah. So just really, you know, all the temperatures are showing you know, fairly close to average. So it'll, um, you know, that uh, with, the, with the windy conditions, we'll have warmer nights through that second week, um, cooler nights and frosty nights in that third week. And uh, but overall, yeah, it's it's looking like it'll end up close to average overall for, for both max daytime and nighttime temperatures. Um, maybe slightly, slightly le- uh, less than average for nighttime temperatures. So might we get a, a, a typical average rainfall for August? Oh, uh, I I think it's, I think you know there'll be some there'll be some reasonable rainfall in there, but I, I suspect it might just struggle to come in a little bit. Might might not just a little bit below average overall. With that sort of yeah, that sort of third week of the month, it's going to dampen down. There's, there looks, I mean, it looks like the looks like the atmosphere is going to be quite suppressed through from from about sort of mid month. So it's going to really inhibit rainfall a bit. Um, at a time when it'd be great if it was kicking on a bit more. But that sort of ten, it's going to be ten days in there. I think it's going to be shut down quite a bit. Well, all eyes on that situation mid month. Take us into September. So September, um, can't, I don't have. Don't, I'm not able to see a lot of much in the way of detail, but it does look like um, look like a wet and average September, Ooh, not good, strongly good, good. so, and and that's and that's really that's really typical. You know, it's really peak time of year for that warm water from uh, moist air from the northwest to um, uh, come to come down. So September, September, October is the peak time for that sort of influence. Um, and that's what I'm seeing in the, in the rainfall amounts. It's a, b- a bit above average for September. Well, 50 um, millimetres are so, as our average for September, so let's yep. hope we get it. <laughs> yep. And uh, near average temperatures again. And same sort of story for October, John. Um, a, a bit above average for temperatures. Uh, sorry, a bit above average for rainfall. Um, not strongly so, but just tending that way. And near average for temperatures as well. Okay, and 44 millimetres, I think, is our average for October. So, again, fingers crossed. And and, uh, uh, that's an interesting situation. Uh, um, Can you just 
take uh, us into, uh, you mentioned earlier on that uh, perhaps uh, because of what's happening in the Pacific Ocean and in the uh, La Nina, that uh, it'll affect the eastern states, but not so much South Australia. Uh, later on, as we move into harvest time, uh, will we get to showers continue or might it sort of ease off a little bit in good, gar- good harvesting weather? It does look, yeah, it does look like it eases off, um, eases off for, for South Australia. Um, on the eastern districts, you know, it might pick up a little bit more um, because they're close to the Victorian border. Um, pick, pick up a little bit more of that Lanina, you know, Lanina, uh, borderline Nanina influence. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's not a strong it's not, it's not a strong wet signal for the eastern states, but it's there. And um, yeah, the eastern eastern districts will probably pick up a little bit of that potentially. The big concern, of course, is as we move towards the back end of September in particular into October, we've got lovely weather, good gardening weather, but uh, we get a little spike of hot weather and upsets everything. What's the likelihood of heat spikes early in the season? Temperatures look very average right through the end of the year um, for, across, across all of South Australia, particularly most, and particularly the um, you know, southern half where we are. So... Um, it all looks very, very average, which is typical for that, you know, that, that sort of La Nina, La Nina type of influence. So, and, this, uh, yeah, got, got, some, hint, got, some, some hints there of a hot January, but that's, you know, that's a long way off. Yeah, no, we won't go <laughs> into that stage at this stage. Yeah. Um, so, uh, from a, a gardening point of view, Darren, it looks like we're in for some really good gardening weather. Uh, with, with plenty of moisture, or hopefully a reasonable moisture in springtime and then uh, uh, not too hot too early in the season. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, we've... We, with, with weather conditions in spring, or you know, the fungal 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 issues, you know, always something you want to, you know, just just be be prepared if if it does start getting wet enough that and, and warm enough that you start getting some fungal stuff kicking off. But you know, otherwise it's it's it does does look pretty good. So Darren, it's not, it's not I, super wet, but yeah, nice. I suspect that you have made a lot of people much happier than they were uh, before you came on air this morning. Greatly appreciate your ability to be able to look at what the international models are saying, sometimes go again the trend, but uh, uh, it's just valuable information from a gardening point of view, and we look forward to talking to you first Saturday of next month. It's always a pleasure, John. Thank you, Darren. And Susan here on the text line says, thank you for your report, Darren. So helpful for beekeepers to try and gauge what spring and thus bees will do to try and avoid spring swarming. So thanks very much from Susan and all of us. Thank you. Darren Ray, independent consulting climatologist, as John said, joins us the first weekend of every month. We'll come back to your general talkback gardening calls in just a moment. The phone number is 1300 222891. Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Off to the beautiful York Peninsula. Keith is on Port Hughes. Hi, Keith. Hi, Deb. Uh, good morning to you and to John. Uh, John, I have a, a bit of a problem with the thing called ice plant. Now, I, I'm not getting confused with pig face. This is uh, the leaf on this particular plant, which grows very close to the ground, um, would have to be six to eight, uh, eight inches in diameter. 
Yes, I'm familiar with ice plant, Keith. Uh, probably a lot of people aren't, but yeah, it's got uh, like a succulenty kind of a leaf. That, that's that right. Yeah, have you got lots of the plants there, or just a few? Yeah, would you like some, would you, John? No, I would not. <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. Um, I can say if you only got a few plants, uh, just pulling them out, uh, chopping them off at the root system, uh, um, probably it would be your quickest and easiest. Uh, in terms of chemicals, I'm not too sure that I could give you um, the best uh, solution. Um, the trouble is, uh, it, when you spray, the water just going to run off the leaf. So yeah. um, glyphosate, um, using glyphosate with a surfactant with it, or not, you need to probably go along to one of the uh, um, pharma stores, and there are things called uh, penetrants, Penetrants yep. and, and and soil wetters uh, uh, and leaf wetters uh, and talk to uh, the agronomist in in the shed if you can and they'll give you their best brew and it could be that it's glyphosate plus a little bit of whatever but the important thing is to get your surfactants and get the uh, surfactants allow the chemical to sort of get into the leaf and you've also got uh, other chemicals that sort of keep the chemical onto the leaf long enough for it to be absorbed into the leaf. Um, if uh, my colleague Chris Butler is listening, who gives us our weed uh, information, uh, if you could send me a text on ice plant, <laughs> that would be appreciated. The text uh, line is zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one. If you're listening, uh, yeah, okay, yeah. So uh, we might get some better solutions, um, and I'm quite sure that the agronomists in on York Peninsula would be very familiar with that one. In the meantime, for my own curiosity, I'll look at up myself and uh, I'll be a little bit wiser next time. Yep. Okay, John. Thanks. Thank you very much for that. Thank you. Good luck with getting rid of what sounds like a nasty plant. Uh, Susan at McGill, you'd like to move a camellia? Yes, I would. Hello, John. Hello, Deb. Um, I have a camellia called Tinsy. I think it's a Japonica. Oh, lovely one. Yes. Beautiful. Yes. And I need to move it because I need to plant a cottonwood tree there instead. Oh, one um, extreme to the other there. Well, well, it is, but it's under full shade all the time, so it's not doing terribly well where it is anyway. Is it all right to move it now, or should I wait? I need to ask you, has it finished flowering? No, it's still flowering. Oh, well, enjoy the flowers. Don't move it yet. (laughs) Um, okay. You'll find that uh, as the probably 90% of the flowers have faded, it's a good time. It has a, a little bit of a rest then, and but uh, it starts to go into grow mode very, very quickly in early spring. Well, that's and, one of the reasons uh, I need to that's move right, it. But, but you've got time on your side. I mean, if you moved it now, the soil is too cold to stimulate the root system into strong activity. And I would suggest that by the time it finishes flowering, it'll be the, towards the end of August. August and at that stage soil temperatures should be above that 10 degrees barrier. Uh, The latest soil temperature I got from Kent Town which is a week ago was the soil temperatures around about uh, 9 to 10 degrees and and below 10 degrees there's not too much happening for most plants. Once it gets above 10 degrees uh, the root systems start to move and as uh, temperatures rise in in, uh, late August and uh, September you'll find that you get root activity and it's all driven by soil temperatures well that might be a good idea because i suspect the soil temperature where it is is much cooler than that (laughs) yeah that's why i need access to that information (laughs) yes okay then fine thank you very much john thank you susan mary at nuriot par um 
Got a question about irrigation. Yeah, thanks, Deb, and thank you to both of you for taking my call. Um, John, I've been listening to you regularly over the last couple of years in particular and listening to your advice about irrigation and shade cloths and things over vegetables in the summer. And um, I've made myself a new um, veggie garden bed through the winter and before I plant anything, I want to get it all set up with its irrigation. And you were mentioning things about dribblers rather than the holy pipes and I just wanted to clarify um, what you meant with that because it was sounded a little at odds to what the irrigation shop here men, man told me. So can you please go over that? Oh, that's uh, opening a can of worms. Uh, <laughs> there's a whole chapter there. Uh, what plants? Are we talking vegetables? You want to water vegetables? Vegetables and, and things like raspberries and blueberries, yes. Right. Well, I mean, the most effective uh, thing is to put in a drip system Mm -hmm. Uh, dripper hose um, and put that uh, so that the drippers uh, and you put the hose uh, say 30 centimetres apart or whatever it is and so when you turn it on you wet the soil the whole soil beneath the the, beneath the surface now Mm -hmm. that's not the most efficient way of watering but it's certainly the most effective way of watering so we go from uh, a complete uh, watering of the subsoil, and you've got to be very careful doing that, otherwise you'll sort of overwater and cause major problems. Um, then you've just got drippers going onto a plant, and uh, you're watering the plant for a short period, and you need to sort of know how much water you're putting on uh, in, in a particular period. Um, then you come to the things called shrublers. Uh, so a dripper comes out a drip at a time and very, very slowly. So it'll take, uh, uh, you know, you might only get uh, four litres of water in an hour. A shrubler has little streams of water, six little streams of water coming out of the shrubler and uh, where a dripper only sort of waters uh, a two or three centimetre spot on the surface, um, a shrubler will water probably 30 or 40 centimetres of water on the surface and where a dripper will only come out at one litre, uh, so four litres an hour, a shrubler will come out, depending on if you open it up or not, say 30 litres of, of water an hour. And so you need to get your timing right. Um, to me, if you just want a, a quick and easy and, and effective way of watering, shrublers are absolutely ideal because they give you the water you want, you can control the amount of water you want, and you water a lot of plants in, in a relatively quick time. But there is a, cur- a firm called Antelco. Antelco. It's an Australian firm. It's a South Australian firm. They provide brilliant drip irrigation or micro-irrigation system. They specialise in it. It's mainly for uh, commercial growers, and they will know Antelco. But if you want good quality material rather than some of the crappy material that's coming in and being sold at the lowest price, uh, then uh, uh, that's what you need to do is go onto the web, look at Antelco South uh, Australia, because they sell a lot of their stuff internationally now. They're so good. Um, But go on to there, have a look at their uh, material, and they have got all their products there, and they are very well explained. Thank you very much for that, John. I've got... um, You were also talking... I've written that down. You were also talking about misting quite a lot, and um, you you mentioned um, a controlling device that would allow you to have the misting on for just a couple of minutes yeah brilliant absolutely brilliant Um, 
There are. Where do you get them from? Uh, oh, well, you need to go to an irrigation specialist. Okay. If you go to uh-huh. an irrigation specialist, there's a, a firm called Hunter, one of the major suppliers of ir- ir- irrigation equipment for commercial people. But they have their latest version is a brilliant little system. It's an app. You work it from your mobile, and I've got it. I worked on, on my system, and, and you can sort of say, righto, for the next three or four weeks, I want it to come on uh, every 45 minutes for uh, for two minutes, and and mm-hmm. and ju- it just mists uh, the whole system. But yeah, you can play all kind of games with that. It's absolutely wonderful. Terrific. And my last question is very quick. It's on the same topic. Um, my roses out the front tend to get fairly burnt in the summer because they're in full sun, and I wondered about the possibility of putting because uh, I might be able to set up a misting system for them. Is that appropriate, or is that likely? No, to be not at all. Misting is not appropriate for roses. Okay. Roses will take full sun. If you, they're burning in the full sun, it means that there's something wrong with the way you water. Put the water in the roots, not the leaves, where roses are concerned. Thanks, Mary, for those questions. Diane at Two Wells, have you got white fly on your tomatoes? Uh, not at the moment. I've, they're the bugbear of my life when I'm planting tomatoes. But this year I have ordered some mortgage-lifted tomato seeds Good. and I don't want to lose them. So how can I get rid of the white lights? Um, well, the question is why do they keep on turning up? You must have the ideal conditions. Uh, presumably it's I don't sem- know. They seem to zoom in from nowhere. Yeah, they're semi-shaded. Uh, full sun is you're like less likely to get white fly if you've got, mm. got your tomatoes in full sun so put the choose the sunniest location and then uh, uh, it, it, watch in the season and you'll find that the white flies come in they lay their eggs and on the backs of the leaves you'll see these little opaque mm. little thin critters there yeah. Um, yeah. and you'll find probably one of the most effective or oh, there's two ways you can use confidor Confidor. I've got a little bit of that and I'm sort of keeping that in reserve. Well, wait until you see the little critters, the little lymphs on the backs of the leaves and spray then. It'll be taken into the leaves and knock off the population. Mm-hmm. Uh, so reduce that early population. If you can reduce your early population, you're probably well on the way of, of not having a major problem later in the season. But they'll it's be not back. easy to get... Sorry, don't do me to interrupt, no. but it's not easy to get those yellow sticky sheets anymore. Well, you can buy them online if you can do that. Okay. Uh, uh, so, yeah. And the other thing is, uh, your first spray could be uh, Confidor. If you don't want mm-hmm. to use it, use an oil spray. But uh, then change to an oil spray and then spray the leaves, uh, say, two or three weeks later after the first spray of Confidor. Put, use mm-hmm. an oil spray or one of the potassium-based sprays. Uh, it's very difficult to get the spray up under the leaves, though, which is where they hide. That's right. I'm suggesting that Confidor is systemic mm. and gets into the leaf. You need something that's translaminar, goes into the leaf. Mm-hmm. And so if you use uh, uh, your Confidor, that'll reduce your population. And then uh, you need to uh, probably spray with an oil spray. I'd be put on your second spray and put the uh, setting on a very, very fine mist the, mm-hmm. uh, change the jet, the jet so you get a fine jet and on a calm day spray around the plants and underneath the plants and uh, try and get the backs of the leaves. But Is there's that no a reason, summer oil or a winter oil? Uh, summer oil. Summer but oil, there's yeah. no reason why you can't continue to use Confidor. It's mm-hmm. got a seven-day withholding period. So, uh, while Is that the, still available? 
It's probably not available in many stores as Confidor. It got okay. such a bad name, people yeah, uh, stores that, yeah. are, are stopped uh, putting it on. But it's available as Congard and, and sort of lots of other. If you go to a store, they, uh, they'll s- t- sell you uh, imidacloprid quite readily. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. uh, being sold by a, a number of companies, but not as uh, uh, the, 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 the name that you mentioned. Okay, no, how big do you think these mortgage-lifted tomatoes will grow? I have heard they're really big. Yeah, well, that depends on how good you are as a gardener, <laughs> I think, Diane. Uh, they'll grow at least a metre and a half, two metres if no, you let I, them. No, I meant the actual tomato itself, not the plant. Oh, okay. Well, again, you'll get them from half a kilogram and you'll get a kilogram if you're a good tomato grower. Thanks, Diane, for the call. Appreciate that. Rachel in Adelaide, um, you've got a neighbour with a pear tree right on your fence line. Uh, yes, yeah. Um, this, uh, pear trees, capital pear trees all along the fence line. Oh, aren't they lovely? I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're very tall and I have a small courtyard garden and I have a pool running along um, my side of the fence line. And um, we're thinking, or they've agreed to reduce the canopy by 50%, but I just wondered how long it would take for them to grow back and will they grow back denser or in the same sort of upright shape? Well, if they chop it back by 50% in the one operation, it'll be back to the same site in probably in about 18 months. Right. Um, now... Um, you can reduce, uh, it would be much better if on a regular basis they remove a, a, a major branch and take out a major branch each season, but you've got a particular problem there. Uh, there's no point in pruning uh, the top back unless you do something with the roots. You need to do a root prune. If you've got a problem between you and your neighbour, uh, I would be suggesting that you consider uh, somehow either uh, physically uh, digging a cut-off drain so that you do a, a cut, a, make a trench on your side, and going down 30 centimetres, and chop off the roots which are coming into your property. That root pruning will reduce the vigour of next door, next door neighbours' plants. But uh, seeing the roots are invading your property, you have rights, um, <laughs> and uh, one of those rights is to stop uh, your neighbour's tree from invading your property. Right, yeah, okay. And also along my side of the fence line, I have a spalier um, orange trees, um, which only get the sun when the leaves are all off the trees. This year, um, I've only got about six oranges on my five trees. I usually have about 200. Is that because they're not getting enough sunlight? Or I would presume somebody so. Somebody told me sometimes or, uh, citrus trees just don't bear fruit one year. Uh, no, no. Did you say your oranges drop their leaves completely? Oh, no, sorry. When the uh, capital pear trees have no, dropped see, right their right. leaves, yeah. my orange trees right start well, to get a bit of sunlight. Oranges were made to be grown in the sun, sun-drenched. Uh, the more sun you get, the better oranges you'll get, and uh, the least amount of sun you'll get, uh, the more problems you're going to get. Um, so if you can increase the amount of light at least, Um, onto the trees, that's going to make a significant difference. Thanks very much, Rachel, for the call. We'll come back to more of your Talkback Gardening calls in just a moment. Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. On the issue of mortgage lifted tomatoes, Dave from Mount Pleasant says uh, he got a 440 gram. 
tomato from his um, mortgage lifter, which was a little beauty. That's quite a big tomato, no doubt about it. Now we've got Maggie from Melbourne on the line. Maggie, welcome to the program here in South Australia. Oh, thank you, and, and I enjoy listening to your program very much. Thank you. Um, I, I just had a question about a grevillea that I've planted um, uh, in autumn, and it's about half a metre high. Um, I've been watering it, but I'm very careful not to overwater because it's on, we're on clay soil. Um, but the leaves, there's some new growth, but the leaves are starting to go brown at the end and not look very happy. Can you give me any advice? Um, I, I, it's very hard to work out with how, how wet the soil is when I feel it. It doesn't feel wet, but it, then it doesn't feel dry either. How can I yes. tell if I'm overwatering it? When was the last time you watered it? Uh, yes, uh, two days ago. Why are you watering it at the moment? Yeah. No, no the question was, why are you watering it at the moment? Oh, because it's... Um, because it's a new plant, and I thought you have to water. Okay, right. Well, if it's a new plant, that's a different thing. No, you need to water the root system. And uh, yes. it's difficult when you've got a new plant because the root ball is small, the soil around it might be wet, and the root ball might uh, quite easily be dry. And so you need to put the water where the roots are. You need right. a little basin formed around where the root ball is, and when you water, you water the root ball within the basin. You don't have to worry about what's out beyond. Um, clay is very, very good for holding onto the moisture, and it's very, very easy to overwater uh, grevilleas. And uh, rather than putting on a little bit of water often, uh, you need to get into the habit of putting on uh, larger quantities of water, but less often. The only way you're going to find out is to get yourself a little trowel and put da- mm-hmm. get down on hands and knees and mm-hmm. dig, go down about five centimetres below the surface and, ta- yeah. uh, and come out probably, uh, say, 15 centimetres from the base, uh, from the stem of, of the plant and fill the soil. And right. if the soil, if, if when you rub the soil between your finger and your thumb, it, it smears, there's moisture there. You don't water. If it, the soil is, is, is dusty on your finger and your thumb, then it is dry. And try and work, do that on a regular basis, and you'll find out if you do that sort of every five or six days or once a week, you'll soon figure out how long the soil stays moist, and you can work out then how often you need to water it. Oh, good. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks, Maggie. Listening all the way from Melbourne. Kath in Coromandel Valley. Now, you want to know about the usability of Manco Zeb, Kath? Yes, because I didn't use all the mixture up that I used in autumn for my dwarf peach tree. I left it in the small sprayer bottle, which is probably the wrong thing to do. Is that okay to use that mixture or should no, I? No, no, don't use it, don't use it, don't okay. use it. But how do I get rid of it? I'm always worried about how to dispose of it. That's always a big problem, yes. And the old idea was you stick it down the gully trap. And of course well, that's it goes. Well, I didn't, and no, that's why no, I pulled that's off. right. Um, I would suggest, if you can, just dig yourself a little hole in the garden underneath a tree or somewhere where it's out of the way and go down probably about 20 centimetres and pour it gently into the hole and then fill up the hole and uh, let nature's little uh, um, critters break it down over the next 12 months. 
Uh, that's probably the best thing. But uh, uh, that's an important point you've ra- you raised, Kathy, because a lot of people will mix up their chemicals and, and not use it all and then uh, uh, use it later on. And it's most important that you use up the chemical that you've mixed but don't hold on to it for any period, anything more than probably about a week or two weeks at the most in, in the container. And also, we're getting into spray fungicide period, and be careful with sprays. Don't mix too many chemicals. Don't mix your copper sprays with anything else, and certainly don't put an oil spray and a, a lime sulfur spray together, otherwise you get problems. So one chemical at a time. Don't mix up more than you need. Only use what you want and what you don't use use after a couple of weeks uh, you need to dispose of it thank you can i ask one more question or is that greedy no i think well we, we've had a few people asking multiple questions okay. this morning so yeah, I, I, thanks I, kath but yeah. we're trying to actually ask people can you ring in with one question yeah i think we need to sort of say look one question otherwise it's just not fair because there's so many people want to ask a question and uh, yeah it, it just uh, <laughs> that's right and i'm trying to be polite because people ask another question while they're still on air <laughs> but uh, if you could just keep it to one that would be great more people will get the chance a uh, steward at tranmere you've got an old mulberry and a crepe myrtle I've got several crepe myrtles. Well, good morning, Deb and John. Um, I've got several crepe myrtles and a 30-year-old mulberry, traditional old English mulberry, beautiful tree. Um, and I want to sort of pollard them back. They're getting way too high uh, to reach. And I'm just wondering how far can I cut the mulberry back? And the myrtles have been chopped at a height, um, and I want to bring them back below where they've been pruned several times. I'm just wondering if that's okay or whether I'll kill the trees. Well, you can cut them both, both of those. The crepe myrtle and the mulberry will respond uh, to hard pruning. So you can cut them back as hard as you want to. Bear in mind, if you cut back the top, uh, you've still got the same root system. So the vigour will come from the root system back into the uh, canopy and you'll end up with the same size. So you've got, uh, with those two, uh, cut them back to what you want to. But bear in mind, they'll come into very strong growth. And when that new growth is about 20 centimetres long, uh, take the tips out. And so instead of having a few long, strong branches, you'll get more shorter branches and you'll have a more compact sized branch. But get into the habit of not just doing one short back and sides, do the cutting back that you have to, and then get into the habit of regular summer pruning. Shape your plants during the growing season and you're in charge rather than the plant going berserk. Thank you very much. I saw a a possum in the top of my lemon tree a couple of nights ago too. He's doing a wonderful job of pruning that. (laughs) They like the tips. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. Well, we're not going to talk possums. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got a few of those if you want. Yeah, no thanks, Stuart. I think there are a lot of gardeners trying to get rid of those. Thanks very much for calling in. Um, off to Port Perry now. Good morning, Neville. You've got a question about your grapefruit tree. Neville, are you there? Well, Neville's sounds like there are a lot of people at Neville's house, but um, not him at the moment. We'll come back to talk back gardening in just a moment. But I do have two uh, ABC Organic Gardener magazines to give away. If you haven't won one in the last month, then um, call in now, one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. 
We are Talk Back Gardening. If you've got a question for John Lamb, call now. We've got a few minutes left until the end of the program. The number to ring is 1300 222 Adrian at Saddleworth has a cherry tree question. Welcome, Adrian. Yeah. Morning, John. Morning, Deb. John, the question is... Morning. You Morning, there? yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, John, the question is cherry trees. Do they suck? I've got a whole heap of new cherry trees come up. Oh, I've been there for a couple of years, the little ones that look like suckers, but I've never seen a cherry tree sucker before. The tree shouldn't sucker unless something's happened to its root system. So mm-hmm. if you've uh, damaged the roots, uh, somebody's cut them or damaged them, uh, then where it, the damage has occurred, it can send up suckers. Um, if you're finding you're getting a large number of suckers coming from around the base of the stem, the main trunk, then that's probably associated with stress. And during the growing season, the plant has been severely stressed and it's thinking, uh, I can't sustain a full tree, what I'll do is I'll start all over again, and up come the suckers. So you need to decide, is it root damage, is it stress? If it's stress, then you need to like, take better care of your cherry tree in terms of mulching and watering during the summer period. It's got all that stuff done, so uh, I'm, I'm thinking it's along the lines that they might actually be the seeds that have by the birds that drop or when you grab a cherry off the tree and eat it and just spit it out on the ground that's well, what they are get a spade and dig up and take a look if it's an individual plant by itself it's a little seedling uh, if it's attached to a, tr- a root then you know that you've got suckers yep oh, we'll just sort of wait for the wet, wet the soil up and then dig them up and transplant them then possibly so <laughs> right that's all right. Thanks, Adrian. Thanks for calling. Um, We were talking earlier about stone fruit, and many of them are budding now. What should we be thinking of at this time of year, John? It's fascinating that we're getting warmer temperatures, so uh, uh, the buds are bursting. I'm not too sure, because the soil is so cold, whether it'll be sustained. But the important thing is if you have stone fruit trees, if you want to protect your trees from fungal diseases, and we're talking about curl leaf and shot hole on the apricots and uh, uh, twig uh, dieback, and later on in the season, uh, uh, the brown rot on your fruit trees, your soft uh, fruit trees, then you need to put on a fungicide, and timing of that fungicide is absolutely critical. There's no point in spraying after the buds have burst. It's got to be put on before the buds are bursting. And uh, I would suggest if you look at them, you'll find that the buds are swelling, and if they're at bud swell, big fat bud swell, that's the time for your first spray. And your second spray should be probably about uh, uh, a week or two weeks, no more than two weeks later, and you'll find uh, it's termed the pink bud stage. You've got the buds have cracked open, and you can see the pink or the white of the uh, of the blossom, but it hasn't opened. Once the uh, buds uh, have opened, the fungus is already in, and it's too late to control. So putting on your sprays, and uh, we're talking about fungicides, Copper is by far the best. Liquid copper is better than uh, uh, copper hydroxide. Copper hydroxide is better than copper oxychloride in terms of stickability and effectiveness. And uh, putting on two sprays before the plants. And one other point is be aware that if you have dwarf stone fruit trees, they come into a bud burst probably a week, 10 days, maybe two weeks earlier than standard fruit trees. So if you've got a, uh, a dwarf fruit tree... <laughs> 
then take a good look at it, and if it's starting to crack open, this weekend might be a good idea to put on your first spray. Now, in terms of sprays, it's too difficult to give uh, too many recipes over the radio, so again, Good Gardening Newsletter next week will feature uh, uh, protective sprays for stone fruit trees. So if you haven't already subscribed, just type in Good Gardening John Lamb into your search engine and subscribe to that and it will arrive in your inbox every Friday morning. Yeah, it's absolutely free. It is. <laughs> um, congratulations to Irene at Hove and Margaret in Seaford who won our ABC Organic Gardener magazines today. Let's go to Port Pirie and see if Neville's back. Hello, Neville. Yeah, hi. Sounds hi. like you're having a party at your house. Now, you've got well, a no, great... With a sledgehammering going on here. <laughs> you've got a grapefruit tree question uh, yes I do so give um, us some details Neville yes uh, John I've got a pink grapefruit tree and it's got uh, most of the leaves pretty healthy but a few of them have got black spots on them the leaves and have got fruit uh, or the fruit no there's no fruit or flowers on there at the moment right okay so it's leaves are spotty lots of them uh, or just a spotty, few black spots yep. and there's also just a very few of the leaves have got slight yellow sort of or yellow veins almost, I think you'd say. Can you rub the spots off the leaf or are they embedded uh, into the leaf? Well, I'm not by the tree now, so but I can... I can have a look and see if it'll rub off, yeah. Yeah, right. Well, that's important. If it's uh, spots on the leaf, it's, it's quite probably uh, a fungal disease uh, and uh, surface fungus. If there are spots on the leaf and they're embedded into the leaf, uh, at this time of the year, it's probably one of the uh, um, bacterial problems causing leaf spots. Um, either way, copper will fix either a fungus or a bacteria problem. So I would suggest that uh, this weekend you might consider putting on a copper spray over the foliage and see whether that fixes it up uh, without seeing it. I don't know that I can give you much more information. Just be aware that uh, it's been cold uh, from the citrus point of view, so uh, there's no point in putting on fertiliser yet. Probably towards the end of uh, uh, August, put on a good citrus spray and uh, see if you can't get your nutrition up as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what about the slight yellowing of some of the leaves? Well, that's what I was suggesting, that no point in trying to feed the tree now. It can't respond. But if you wait till the end of August, uh, the soil will be warm enough for the roots to take in the nutrients, and that should overcome that particular... Uh, if it's just straight uh, nitrogen deficiency, you may uh, be better off getting a fertiliser that's got trace elements in it, particularly iron and see whether that gives you uh, the answer to your particular problem. I actually did put some trace elements on it a week or so ago, which is probably too early. Yeah, well, I'll just sit there and do nothing, but in springtime you should see a response. Thank you, Neville, for the call. Good luck with the rest of your do-it-yourself job today. Um, At Balaclava, David, I think, do you want to know about the compatibility between an orange tree and bark chips, David? That's correct, Deb, yes, uh uh, one of the family members has got a couple of orange trees and they've put bark chips from like eucalyptus type trees around them and I'm thinking that the leaves have all curled up and shriveled up and it's only got a few flowers on and it looks very stressed. I'm just wondering if how toxic bark chips would be from eucalyptus plants. No, don't blame the bark <laughs> the poor old mulch um, you might get a little bit of leachate coming out. Was it fresh mulch they put on or was it aged? Uh, 
was not that old when they put it on there, probably about three months, four months old. Yeah, okay. Well, listen, um, from your description, I'd say that it was what happened last summer that's caused your tree to look pretty miserable. And uh, it's uh, important that they are a surface-rooted plant. They've got most of their roots up in the top 20 cent, 20, uh, 25 centimetres. So you need to be watering that on a regular basis. And because the moisture disappears so quickly, you need to have that mulch on it. So uh, yeah. uh, I would be perhaps uh, uh, in the last week in August, rake the mulch back, give it a good uh, application of a fertiliser specifically for citrus trees right. and then put the mulch back again right. and even add some more mulch and then work out how you're going to water it on a regular basis during the summer period. Right, okay. So what sort of fertiliser would you use, John? Oh, there's millions of them out there. Not millions, but there's... If, <laughs> there's heaps. If, if you buy a fertiliser which is specific for citrus trees, it's blended yeah. for citrus trees. You'll yeah. find that there's very little difference between a fertiliser for a citrus tree or a stone fruit tree. It'll be the same stuff and virtually the same if you buy a citrus and a vegetable fertiliser. Again, it's the same material. But because people uh, get confused and they're not too sure which one, uh, the marketing people say, right, well, we'll put this one's a citrus one and this one's a vegetable one, even though it's exactly the same. But at least yeah. if you buy it, <laughs> you can be confident that what you're getting is what you want. Yeah, no worries. Okay, then. Thanks, David. Yeah, thanks a lot, Deb. Thanks Thank a lot, John. Thank you. Uh, Phil, I think from CD Downs will be our last caller today. And it's a compost question, Phil. Uh, yes. Um, good, uh, good morning. How are you? Good. Um, now I've through experience previous experience I've put compost on lawn and it's it's just gone crazy. You put but compost I, on the lawn. Yeah, I spilt it on the lawn. It's, it <laughs> right was fine. It was fine compost yeah. and within 2 weeks the lawn had gone crazy. Um now I've got a, a combination of uh, fine compost and cow manure. I was wondering whether that was might be too rich, because uh, I remember last week, a couple of weeks ago, you were saying uh, compost now before mulching later on in the year. Well, I think that uh, you've learnt uh, an interesting little lesson there, Phil. Um, the compost has obviously got something in it that uh, the lawn likes. And uh, if how long ago was the compost put on? Oh, look, this was uh, going back about 20 years ago from the same same company. And uh, no, when, when when did you put the compost on your lawn? Oh, oh, during what time of year? Yeah. Uh, good question. Because <laughs> that long ago, months months ago. Okay. Well, look, if it was, uh, it was back in autumn, when I was the important thing is that uh, um, compost contains a, a small amount of nutrient. And yep. uh, also it contains the ability of holding on to moisture. The fact that your lawn responded quickly to compost indicates that your lawn was suffering a deficiency of something and the compost oh, yeah. provided what it needed. Probably it was nitrogen. And I also think that maybe uh, feeding your fertiliser, your lawn on a regular basis could give you the same amazing uh, results that you've got from your compost. So the important thing is uh, add your cow manure. If it's, Make sure it's aged cow manure manure, mix it up yep. with your compost, sift it so you don't cover the lawn and don't do it yet. Do it towards the end of August or early September. Uh, I'm presuming that you've got a summer active lawn, cooch, buffalo or kukuyu and if you put it on in September when it's starting to go into grow mode, it'll benefit very considerably from that mixture of compost and aged cow manure. 
Phil, great experiment that has long-lasting effects there. Thank you very much for your call, Phil, and to everybody that has rung through or sent a text this morning in Talkback Gardening. I imagine with the weather today that we have in Adelaide that you'll be out in the garden today, John. Yes, I'm looking forward to getting out into the garden. I've got uh, uh, quite a lot of little small plants which I've propagated over uh, winter and they need potting on and going back into my little warm house. It's a bit (laughs) cool for other things. But anyway, I'll say until... uh, next week. Have fun and good gardening.